There are a lot of companies out there who have spend management tools that will say that they use AI. And I don't doubt that they do. However, the question that we should really be asking is what percentage of the work is actually AI based? Welcome to Modern Business Operations, where we talk with leaders about how ops is adapting to our modern world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Modern Business Operations Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Colliner, and I'm here today with Susan Walsh, who is the founder and MD of Classification Guru. And before I ask you to share a bit about your background, your current role, explain what the MD stands for. Ah, okay. So yes, I was on a session recently and someone thought it was medical doctor. It's not medical doctor. It's also, jokingly, I call it mistress of data, but it's actually managing director of the company that I own. I was going to say, that's a self-imposed title and it's a good one. Yeah, yeah. But also really uh, makes a great point around how not everybody reads and interprets the same data the same way. Slid in an automatic object lesson there. Well done. So do tell us a bit about what is your background and current role, especially that for you is a little bit different than a lot of our guests. So I want to make sure we explain that well. Yep. It's been a pretty wild ride. I've had the classification guru for just over six years now. Prior to that, I worked for a spend analytics company classifying spend data. And before that, I had never worked in the data space in my life. In fact, before that, I had another business, which was a women's clothes shop, which failed horrifically and led to me finding an ad online for getting into spend data. And then prior to that, I had worked in a lot of telesales and sales, account management. So I had a very different background and a whole different life before all of this. But actually, it's proved to be really quite unique in my knowledge and experience, which helps me do what I do now. So yes, it was worth it. Maybe not at the time, but now it is. Well, so we'll dive in with talking about data quality. So talk about the necessity of data quality, which is obvious for a lot of folks, but let's get articulate about it. Not as obvious as you might think. I struggle with this all the time. Everybody knows, every organization knows that they've got dirty data. We fix dirty data, but nobody wants to pay to fix the dirty data. That's the problem until something's hit the fan. It's all gone horrifically wrong. And then they manage to find money from somewhere to pay to fix it all. I'm all about trying to prevent instead of cure the problem. I guess it's always been seen as more of a menial task. Oh, we'll just give that to the office junior, the graduate. But actually, you want to do it efficiently, effectively, and have really good quality data, then you need some people who have some experience involved as well. And I think that's where most people make the mistake is they think, oh, anyone could do it. Why would we want to pay to fix our data? And what that impacts is things like budgets, headcount, fraud, like there could be loads of fraud going on. And if you don't have clean data, how are you going to know? It could affect, you know, KPIs and the bottom line as well. So it, it impacts all areas of business. And so in terms of, we're talking about procurement, especially in, in financial departments, what do they need from their data? Let's take for granted that the quality is important, but what do they actually need to get out of it? Procurement, they need to know exactly how much they're spending, who with. They need to know how many suppliers per category they've got. They need to know what agreements are in place. They need to know in terms of risk, supplier risk, they need to know all the information on that as well. That can also help them make cost savings, negotiate 
better with their suppliers and generally just have a better understanding of what's going on in their business. It may even be able to help them predict trends and patterns for things. And the same with finance. I mean, procurement and finance have very different lenses on how they view the data, but ultimately finance need the same things. They need to know what's been spent in GLs. Are they assigned to the correct people? How much have we spent? You know, because they have to legally report on this. So the numbers have to be correct. So you really do need like the, the correct categorization, whether it's a GL code or a taxonomy. And it just makes your life a lot easier. It really does. Well, and kind of on that note, then uh, let's talk about views. This is a very graceful segue. I'm, I'm proud of what's about to happen. <laughs> so you said procurement and finance view things differently, but each department and also the larger business, they also need views into the data and how it's working. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Procurement might be asked, how much did we spend with PwC last year globally? Now, if you don't have clean data, you might think that's a really easy thing to find out, but it's not. Procurement can have multiple systems in multiple countries. So you may have to pull the data from different systems. The headers of the columns may not match. So you have to figure out how you can streamline all those columns. You might find that PwC is called PricewaterhouseCoopers in some countries or P.W.C or PwC Inc. And so you have to standardize all those names or at least be able to pull them out of the system to know that it's the right thing. And then, you know, you've got your currency conversions. You know, it might not all come out magically in USD. You might need to do some local currency conversions. That's a little example. And that could literally take you days, if not weeks sometimes. If you don't have all that already set out, you know, it could be a lot of work while your manager or someone above that is like, well, where is it? Come on. Surely you just press a button. And as we all know, it doesn't work like that. There is no button to press. You have to do some work. But again, it's about kind of making the senior decision makers aware of what's involved in this process. Don't just let them give them a shiny polished file or dashboard, actually make them aware that you know there's a lot of work that goes into it because they might not even realize. Yeah, that's a great point. I think we probably all do that to some extent in our work lives. We think very highly of, of all the work we individually do all day long. And we think it's very important. And yeah, often nobody ever sees the, the labor involved. They just ideally just see the output. And that's good. And to some extent, it's good to meet your deadlines and produce what's being asked. But yeah, you're right. It's all too often, people don't really realize what goes on behind the scenes. I wouldn't be in business still with a team of people cleaning data if there were tools out there that could magically do that, which is what a lot of people think. Oh, we'll just put it in the tool or the software and it'll be fine. It doesn't work like that. We're busier than ever because it doesn't work like that. And I think there's a lot of an education piece around that. Well, let's get into that because the next two questions I want to ask you, one is just kind of walk us through what that looks like. You sit down to do this project. What's that look like? And then tapping into what you just mentioned about, like there are tools out there that alleged to do this. Some of them are AI based and maybe that's not always so good. So yeah, so give us that education. Just walk us through what that looks like and, and what you have to do. You mean the magical, mythical AI and now Gen AI. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, and there are a lot of companies out there who have spend management tools that will say that they use AI. And I don't doubt that they do. However, the question that we should really be asking is what percentage of the work is actually AI based? Because you might find it's like 10 or 15, maybe 20%. And the rest is actually done by people or 
you find that, yes, maybe 60% is done, but then by the time you check it and have people change it, it's a lot less than that. So there's questions that need to be asked. And again, we need to educate people to ask those questions like, yeah, what percentage of the tool is AI? Because we just, when you say it's an AI tool, you just assume that it's all AI. But if that was the case, wouldn't you have your data back within a day or two if it was just all magically AI and it's not? And again, it just, it perpetuates this whole myth of, oh, the software can do everything. Whereas I think, you know, and that's devaluing the kind of stuff, the work that we do because they think, oh, we can just give it to these guys. And the ironic thing is they pay way more for the software and the tools. We probably could turn it around in the same amount of time, but it would cost a lot less. But because it's a physical tool, they feel like they're, it's tangible. They're getting more for it. It's very hard to tangibly show what we've done until we've done the work. This episode is brought to you by Tonkeen. Tonkeen's process experience platform seamlessly wraps around existing policies and systems, allowing internal service teams to do more with what they already have. Build process experiences that are personalized for each requester and use AI to automate the intake, triage, and resolution of every request. Maximize adoption, compliance, and efficiency with no change management and no code. So walk us through, you know, without giving away trade secrets, your process for something like this. So someone says, I need this done. We're hiring you to help us fix this. What are the steps you go through to get from that request all the way through? Here's the deliverable. Well, the first thing I ask is tell me what your problems are. Uh, A bit like a therapist. Because (laughs) often what the client thinks they need is actually not the solution. And so I dig down into finding out what the actual problems are first. Then I ask them to think about what their end goal is. So not just fixing the data for the right now, but what do you need from that data? Do you need supplier name? Do you need uh, maybe an address? Maybe you need a VAT ID or a DUNS number, or maybe you need to categorize it when it's set up, or maybe you need to input your invoice details better. Maybe it just says office supplies right now. Maybe you need a breakdown of what that is. So have a think about what you actually need. You know, it might not be an easy process to get there, but then I'll start to build things into the data or the project that can be used further down the line as well as now. Then what we'll do is we'll literally take Excel or CSV files from multiple different sources quite often. We'll pull them together in a tool called Omniscope. I've also developed a methodology on cleaning and classifying that the team have been trained in. I've got a book called Between the Spreadsheets. I even share my knowledge in there. You know, it's not trade secrets. I am trying to put myself out of business here, but we keep getting busier. It's crazy. And then obviously it goes to the process. We've got a three-step process. So it goes, the data gets split, goes to the team, comes back. Someone checks the data file as a whole. Then it comes to me and then I do the final checks and then it goes out the door. And honestly, I think that's where most companies are going wrong is that they're not checking the data before it goes out the door. And the reason is they maybe don't have people experienced enough to know what's right and what's wrong and where things should be and shouldn't be. I think it's interesting that the first thing you do is is sort of be asked questions about what they need, what they want. It's a very human way of approaching and organizing. And I think to your earlier point, a lot of times with software, we just think the software will do it. Maybe we'll throw information into the software and it'll do it, but they're just tools. And sometimes they're very sophisticated, but they're only as good as the way they're used. If you have missing data, you're not going to magically create that data in the new tool. 
but it's, it's always the same. It's always they don't know what they need or, or what they think they need is not actually what they need. Right. When it comes to sort of the roadblock of leadership, I'm interested in this point. You've alluded to it already, but oftentimes when your experience, you, you, you told me that leadership decision makers sometimes get in the way of making this happen. Can you talk a little more about what you mean by that? I mean, I don't have like a, I've not tracked it, but I have at least two to three projects a year that I've proposed fail because budgets have been cut and they haven't wanted to spend the money in that area. It happens all the time. And the companies will struggle on for the next few years, still doing exactly what they're doing when they could be working more efficiently. They could be freeing up time to do more strategic, more important work. They could be making better decisions based on better data, but they just don't see the benefits or enough benefits in it to actually do that, which is such a shame because I've done so many proof of concepts and samples and said, look, here's your data. Look at all this stuff that's wrong in it. And then they just disappear. I have heard, I had one one company who kind of did a quote, never heard from them. They came back the next year, did another quote. They admitted they'd gone and tried to do it themselves and it hadn't worked. Then they disappeared again. So if they come back a third time, I'm not even going to like, I'm not even going to entertain it because from a business point of view, it takes days to put these presentations and pitches together. And then for somebody to just not even come back to you. You know, I'm used to it now, but in the beginning, I took it so personally. It was soul destroying. You know, that, that was a day or two days that I could have spent working on my business instead. So that's, that can be really frustrating. But other times it's just people who are making the decisions are too far removed from the actual day to day tasks. Cause they're all, all those people know the value of my services, but they might not have the power to make the decisions. That's so interesting with the psychology of leadership in that way. And I've experienced in, in my career some of those things too. It almost sounds like the sort of the classic build versus buy problem, the, the psychology in there. A mentor of mine told me this anecdote. His vice president or somebody asked him to evaluate what it would cost to, to build some new initiative. And he came back and he said, I can build this for you for a million dollars or we can buy it for $2 million. And I know you're not going to give me the million dollars to build it. And sure enough, they did it. They spent twice as much money to buy it instead of building it, right? And you know, I don't, I don't remember the end result if that went well or not. But it is sort of interesting that the decision doesn't seem to be made with really strong logic in many cases. Like this will be literally half the cost. It'll be faster. It'll be better. They just have to go and give it a shot. Or they have to go with the well-known consultancy because you know they've got a good name behind them or the software brand. But the reality is, again, the, even they don't really know what they're looking for. And they'll just go to these companies and go, give us the software. And they'll go, okay. And then it doesn't work. And they're like, well, you didn't say you needed that. Or, you know, they're maybe not asking the same kind of questions that I have because I've learned the hard way. Ask the questions up front so that you don't have to change your project halfway through and redo everything. Yeah, exactly. And I like your note about how a lot of times the decision makers are abstracted away too far from the day-to-day the -day work. I have experienced that firsthand as well. You know, people get stuck in the KPIs they have in front of them. And you know, if the KPIs do it by this time in this way, then it doesn't matter if there's a better way to do it. They just have to meet the KPI. And it all just becomes widgets and, and items on a spreadsheet rather than actual work that gets done. You talked about build versus buy. Well, we are the bit before the build or the buy. 
we are the foundation bit, we can get your data to a point where you can then put it into something and it will work. But you have to lay those foundations first. So kind of back to this education idea of just (laughs) teaching people how to think about these things. You know, of course, AI has been a buzzword forever. There's, you know, a huge hype cycle a few years ago. We're in the midst of another one with generative AI this year. So when you talk to people about AI, just generally speaking, when it comes to doing this work, what's the most important thing or things that you want them to know? I just say, guess what? AI, machine learning, gen AI, it all learns from training data sets. And guess what? People need to clean and build those clean data sets. So don't think that they're going to come along magically and fix everything too, because they won't. They don't know what's right and wrong. And especially with the gen AI stuff, if you are using like a, an open source external tool, you don't know where the source of that data has come from. You don't even know if it's accurate, you know, the information, you know, you really have to know your subject if you're going to use it, the tool effectively. You know, we will play around with it, but there's certain areas that like, like spend data classification is way too subjective, contextual. There's no way that Gen AI is going to be picking up on that in the next year or two. So you still need to have your wits about you and, you know, be sensible about this. I mean, look, even driverless AI cars can still run people over, you know, it's like. I think one of my favorite anecdotes when someone was teaching people about AI was about the self-driving car. His point was there's basically no more sophisticated AI on earth than the self-driving car. There's so many constituent parts and components all to work together in perfect synchronicity with multiple types of technologies to make that work. And yet it can't do things that a three-year-old child can do, right? Like it can't drink a glass of water. It can't make a cup of coffee. It can't tell a joke. It can't tie shoes. It's so narrow, even that very sophisticated thing. I always have that in the back of my mind as sort of an operating uh, piece of guidance anytime I think about talking about what AI can do and what it can't do. When I do speaking sessions, I've started adding some AI slides in because everyone's like, oh, is AI going to take my job? And you know, I talk at finance events, procurement events, data events. It doesn't matter where you go. Everyone's talking about it. And the examples that I put up on screen are the, you know, there's the classic original was the muffin versus chihuahua. Is it a picture of a muffin or a chihuahua? But I've got dog, is it a dog or a mop? A dog or a beagle? A parrot or guacamole? People still need to tag the images correctly before the AI can learn this stuff. Otherwise, it's never going to know that it's a mop or a dog. You know, it needs somebody to tell it. And sometimes I can hardly tell the difference between the mop and the dog. So, (laughs) (laughs) so, you know, you always need that, that it's not humans or tech. It's, it should be humans and tech. That's a great line. What is the best advice you have received in your career? People will be the biggest stress to your business. And that is the biggest truth. (laughs) That sounds right. Yeah. Growth is hard. Managing people is harder. And guess finding the right people and getting the right team. And yeah, it's really tough. But that's the thing that's always stuck with me. And is there anything you want to promote or share about yourself or your company? And if people want to contact you, what's the best way they could do that? Well, first of all, you can find me on LinkedIn, Susan Walsh, a classification guru. I have some very entertaining and engaging content on there. I probably should self-promote more. I'd rather just talk and share my knowledge, but I do have a book. It's called Between the Spreadsheets, Classifying and Fixing Dirty Data. It's a great title. 
And it's all just basically doing it in Excel. You know, we can start at the bottom and work our way up from there. I've also got a course called Fixing Dirty Data, cleaning names, addresses, emails, and phone numbers all in Excel again. And yeah, if you need your your data classified cleans or material master data cleans, then you know where to find me. Excellent. Susan Walsh, thank you so much for your time and expertise and insight today. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Modern Business Operations. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at tonkeen.com slash mbopod. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes. And if you're interested in staying up to date on all things business operations, join the Tonkin community at tonkin.com slash community.